Hey friends, it's me, Katie Ann, and your host of the Full Confidence Ahead podcast, where we go on a journey together tackling the fears of life from family relationships to finance, from careers to community. Today, we are so excited to have an international businessman with us. We have Manuel Amaning with us. He is a Harvard graduate and has been CEO and president of many different companies in Brazil and here in the States. We're so thrilled that he's taken a little bit of his time to be with us. We'll introduce him in a little bit. And for a moment, we're so grateful for our sponsors that we have them. They make it so you can listen to the Full Confidence Ahead podcast for free. So please give our sponsors a listen. And then we are so excited to introduce our guest to you today. Have you ever felt scared swiping your card at a cash register, not knowing if it would be declined or maxed out on your credit limit? Believe me, I've been there holding my breath waiting to check out. Thankfully, all of that fear melted away and turned into confidence when I took a financial literacy course. The PowerPay Money Master course has changed my experience at the cash register from fearful to fearless. The online course is video-based and gives you real-life money smarts. USU Extension is offering a free Money Master course to all Full Confidence Ahead listeners. Go to extensioncourses.usu.edu slash Powell and add the Money Master course to your cart. The link will give you the $40 course for free. You can also get the course discount by going to extensioncourses.usu.edu and finding the Money Master course under the finance category. Use the code KDAN. K-A-T-I-E-A-N-N with no spaces at checkout to claim your $40 discount and free course. As a podcaster and a one-woman show, it takes a lot of time to record, edit, and produce my episode. There is no way I could run my podcast on my own if I didn't have Podflow. Podflow is an AI-based podcasting tool that enhances audio recordings, writes show notes, and makes audio timestamps all within literally minutes. It's given me the power to be a one-woman show by giving me back my time. If you have your own podcast or are considering making your own, head over to podflow.ai to create your account. Podflow will give you a free trial to get just a taste of their product. And when you're ready to purchase their product, it's affordable and purchased by the month. So you can go month by month with your podcasting process. Get ready to podcast like me and get your Podflow account at podflow.ai. Mr. Manuel Amering, we are so thrilled to have you on the podcast with us. Thank you so much for being here. No, thanks for having me. I am so excited to introduce you to our podcast listeners. Your bio, your accolades are just so expansive, and it is such a pleasure for us to have you. So I'm going to read a little bit off for so our podcast listeners know the knowledge, the experience that you're bringing to the podcast today. It is so exciting. So Manuela Maring served as a president and CEO and partner of several companies in different sectors in Latin America, Europe, and the USA. So not only is he a businessman, but in the international realm and in multiple countries and in different sectors, which comes with expansive knowledge. And he's been the director of several corporate boards in six different countries. So this is a lot of wealth of experience we have on our podcast today. He graduated as an engineer from the Instituto Militar de Engenaria in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, and holds an MBA from Harvard Business School. So he's the founder and partner of multiple companies that have been in Utah, in Florida, in Brazil, 
and we are so excited to have him today. He is also a member of the Marriott School of Business National Advisory Council and was an executive in residence at the University of Utah David Eccles School of Business, the Goff Strategic Leadership Center. So we also get to claim him a little bit and have that renowned knowledge here in Utah. So we are so excited to have you on. But most importantly, he's also a recent author of the book, The Secret of Culture Change, How to Build Authentic Stories That Transform Your Organization. So we'll be talking a little bit about that today. But I just want to know, as I read off all of those things on your bio, what is one thing that you are, that you hold so dear to your heart, or maybe that was the most, the biggest accomplishment that was a hurdle for you that you came through everything you've done over your career and in your lifetime? Okay, that's a, that's a difficult uh, question to answer because it is actually a combination of things, but I'll try to summarize many of which uh, are family legacies from my ancestors. So if we're focusing only on the career aspects of my uh, accomplishments, I attribute uh, um, what I've been able to achieve the two things, one was my dedication to my mm -hmm. studies. And I'll expand a little bit on that. And the second is my willingness to work hard and to give my best. Mm -hmm. uh, just to give you an idea of beginning and end, I uh, started off in a family where my dad made the equivalent today of $2,000 per month uh, in a Latin American country. So that's uh, the environment where I grew up with. Not, not a lot to spare. Uh, we had uh, a very, very simple life. Uh, but I knew from my dad for my mom was a teacher my my dad was in the military that if i wanted to have a good future i needed to dedicate myself to to study and and seek the best education the best schools etc <clears throat> uh you've mentioned that i that i got my my degree from the instituto militar de engenharia in english that would be the military institute of engineering Sorry for my coughing, but I just got out of a COVID infection four days ago. No. So I'm still with coughing. I'm sorry. But this uh, school was the first engineering school in the Americas. It was founded in 1790. Uh, it's a school of excellence. Very difficult to be accepted, much harder to be accepted at that school than to be accepted at Harvard. The ratio is one acceptance per 100 uh, candidates. Harvard is about one in 25. So I was very lucky to uh, study there, but it took me a lot of effort, a lot of effort. <clears throat> very difficult exams, four rounds of five-hour exams uh, to be evaluated. 
25% of my class, which was a small class of only 50 students, ended up coming here to, to become university professors in the US and in Europe. So it's a very top quality schools. And that was key for me to get my first job. And then eventually to be <clears throat> accepted at the MBA program at Harvard. <clears throat> so studying hard, seeking education in the best schools was one key driver of my success. And then working very hard <clears throat> to be excellent in what I did, I I had a very first, uh, very good first employer when I left Harvard. I went to work for Procter and Gamble, a company that invests a lot in training and developing its employees. I had a super fast career. Uh, in just seven years, I became a general manager one of the 28 executives worldwide to have responsibility for what we call in business a PL, a profit and loss uh, statement, uh, responsible for the entirety of the business. I was the uh, general manager responsible for the Pampers business in Latin America, which was a big job. And from there, I became a CEO. And in parallel, I'm an investor in different businesses, as you said, during my introduction. So studying, uh, doing my best to get the best possible education and working hard and seeking to work for companies that were excellent in what they did brought me from a family that was making $2,000 per month very simple life, but very valuable in what I've learned from them. To living here in the United States today, the richest country in the world, where if I compare my income and my net worth to the population here, I'm in the top 1%. So it was a big journey. <laughs> That is quite the journey. And I, I love that you've also talked about your your upbringing because a lot of times I think we all assume of journey and business. It's, oh, well, my, my family was an entrepreneur and so they passed it on to me or my family came from a lot of wealth. And so that's how I got into school at these top universities. And what you're telling me or what I heard from you is it was your hard work and dedication that and, and maybe the principles that you learned from your youth too, in that humble beginning of you had to work hard with a humble home. And that was actually paved the way for your success and not, not necessarily wealth at the beginning, but rather that dedication and that study, correct? Yes. You know, one of the stories that inspired me from my ancestors was the story of my great grandfather, <laughs> who was an immigrant from Portugal in Brazil, who came, uh, went to Brazil with nothing. Uh, he was illiterate for his entire life. He was, he began as a trash collector. Uh, he knew that he wanted to form a family and that he wanted to give 
his children the possibility he never had to go to school. So he, he worked his way up to become a taxi driver. And then uh, he started up a small auto parts business and was able to send my grandfather to the military academy. And he became a military officer. And from that generation on, all of us uh, got college degrees and most of us master's and uh, PhD uh, degrees as well. That all because a <clears throat> illiterate man, hardworking man, knew the value of education and worked really hard to provide that to his children and then to us, to all of us. Hmm. I, I was very inspiring. <clears throat> that triggered a question in me because I, I love what you said is this value of education and that it was an ancestor that was an immigrant. And as you've come from Brazil to the United States and there, there's this alleged like American dream that, that we all have, that people immigrating have, that you come here, you find your passion, you find what you want, you build wealth, you build a safety for your family. There's a lot of barriers to that dream as well. So what suggestions do you have for someone who's in that spot, who's who's wanting to achieve that dream? Is it truly the education that's that's the key to that? Are there some other things that helped you through finding that dream? You are uh, right to say that we find a lot of uh, barriers. Uh, there is prejudice in the first uh, uh, place, especially if you're coming to Latin America. You know, when I introduce myself and I say that I'm from Brazil, I know that the other side, if they don't know me well, they have an image of who I am that is very different from who I really am, mm -hmm. of what I'm capable of, which is also very different from my potential. So one of the things that I have said to several uh, immigrants that I have worked with is that you have to be better than average. You have to work harder. You need to excel in what you do. You need to strive for excellence in everything you do. And I found during my life that the one thing that correlates more with excellent excellence is effort. You know, I, I really, I lived for five years in Venezuela uh, when I was working for Procter & Gamble. Way back when Venezuela was a very livable uh, country, which is not the case anymore. And my kids were attending an American school, an international school in Caracas. And they gave every kid two grades at the end of each quarter. They gave... Uh, uh, a grade on effort and a grade on achievement, intellectual academic achievement. And the only thing that I discussed with my kids was their grade on effort in every single, single subject, because I knew that if they had put in the right effort, the achievement would come. So this is uh, maybe the most important advice that I could give to people who who decide to do that, and we do this, and I say we as an immigrant, we do this primarily to provide our posterity a better life. That's the motivation that brought me here. 
I wanted to give a better life to my kids, to my grandkids. I'm so happy when I see them and the life that they're living here that I was able to provide that to them. Because uh, to me and to my wife, uh, even though we love this country, we, by the way, we just became uh, U.S. citizens last month. Oh, congratulations. That's huge. That, that's a <laughs> yes. big process. And that's a no, nasty I a, test. <laughs> I am a big admirer of the U.S., of American history, of the society that was built here in this promised land. But it's difficult. It is hard to be an immigrant. I gave up comfort, gave up status, fame, uh, you know, public recognition, closeness to friends that I grew up with, to extended family, even to my parents, uh, to, to make this move, which, uh, you know, eventually uh, any family will, will make. Uh, this country is made of immigrants. Your ancestors at one point in time immigrated from somewhere to the United States. Uh, and the same is true in Brazil. But uh, you have to be better than average. You have to make more effort than the average uh, to have a place here. And then if you do, it will be recognized, it will be respected, and uh, it will be seen for, uh, for what you're worth. But it needs to start with your effort and with your search for excellence. I love that. I, I love the things that you've brought up as education, effort, and that search of excellence. Um, and that recognition of there are barriers. There's a dream and there are barriers. And starting there with those things. And your story, how you've given up comfort and culture to come to something else as well. And it's it's like a cost-benefit analysis. You're going there. Like, what do I really want? What and that's probably a decision we all have to come to at some point in time of our lives where when choices come up and I I I love that and as you've gone throughout these different countries and you've uh, made different cultures I'm really excited to kind of transition into talking about your new book the secret of culture change because you've clearly had to change adapt move culture and build companies. I'm so excited to talk about your book that just okay. came out. So first off, our listeners can buy your book on Amazon, correct? Yes. Just uh, search for The Secret of Culture Change uh, book, and it will be taken to the right place to click and buy. <laughs> Perfect. I'll put that in our link for our podcast listeners. So if you're listening right now, if you go into the show notes, it's right there in the show notes, that link, you can just click it and buy it right off the bat. But I want to just know, first off, what was the inspiration be behind creating this book? Okay. The focus of the book is on corporate culture. Every single culture, every single company, I mean, or organization from small to large, has its norms, its values, and they govern how people work how they go about their uh, working lives when they are delivering what they're supposed to do. And there needs to be a match between what a company's strategy is, where they, they've decided to, to play, how they've decided to offer their products, what characteristics of the service they want to provide, and the culture of the employees of the company, of the that mini 
or large society, working society inside of the company that delivers the uh, the products and services. There needs to be a, a match there. So in my first uh, big job as a CEO, I was uh, responsible for a very large telecommunications company in uh, Brazil. We had over you know, 30 million clients at that time. Uh, eventually we became much larger and in size comparable to most of the telecom operators here in the United States. When I arrived, it, the culture was very hierarchical, very disciplined, and it needed to be because in the first few years after the telecommunications industry in Brazil was privatized, uh, the same had happened here in the United States many years uh, before, we had regulatory goals to meet. Pretty much what we needed to do was to deliver basic phone services, wireline services to customers who wanted to have one. And that's a huge undertaking. You have to have a network that is spread all over the place. You have to have a workforce that makes the necessary connections. You have to have the major uh, you know, cables and, and uh, you know, the, the, the network is, is something really amazing. I, I remember in the first three years of my work there, we've deployed a network uh, of the size equivalent to three rounds around the earth. Ooh, wow. Uh, that's the size, the magnitude of it. So we had to be very, very disciplined. Uh, the culture was necessarily hierarchical. Top management knew what needed to be done from the contracts that we had with the government. We needed to inform the organization what to do. And then we needed to supervise if they were doing what they were supposed to. There was not, not, not much room to, you know, to create, to be innovative. It was a very uh, well-defined job. That was a culture, super hierarchical. It was an army of people doing the same things every day. However, once we had met the goals, uh, the monopoly that we were given initially in the first few years in order to make all of the investments that we needed to make to expand the network was going to end and we were going to face new competition. Mm -hmm. People, other companies would be allowed to get into our markets. So that culture was not going to be appropriate anymore. We needed to have people focused on clients, on serving those clients well, in bringing new products uh, into the market, in delivering those services and products with excellence, uh, being very responsive to our customers. So we had to make a shift. And that's what the book is about. How do you make a shift from culture A to culture B, which is a big challenge. For instance, people who were successful in the previous culture would not necessarily be the new one. Uh, one of the things that I had to do was to break into the comfort level of those who were up the top so they could understand that this was not going to be a company uh, with a hierarchy based on position, but on ideas, 
on innovation, etc. Somehow, the job that was done in that front during the first five years in that telecom company in Brazil came to the attention of a professor at the Harvard Business School. Professor Linda Applegate, who was a professor of corporate entrepreneurship. And she asked me to write a case. All of the uh, classes in the Harvard Business School are based on real cases, and we study what had happened to a company, to an executive, etc. So they invited me to write the case about what I had done in that company. Eventually, and actually 15 years later, I was attending church, uh, and after uh, Sunday school, I went to talk to the, the, the teacher to thank him for the excellent class he had given, and he introduced himself as, as not only a member of the church, but also a business uh, school professor at the University of Utah, and he invited me to have lunch. During lunch, I shared that uh, story with him. And the lunch ended with an invitation. He said, that was Professor Jay Barney, one of my co-authors. He said, we should write a book about this because I told him how I had done it. And that's how it started. We interviewed a lot of leaders, a lot of CEOs, business leaders around the world, different sizes, you know, very diverse sample uh, to find out what were the commonalities when they had to face the task of changing a culture from A to B and what the successful ones uh, had done. And we found commonalities and this is what the book is about. Mm. It's so exciting because I think culture change is such a hot topic right now because there's so much disruptive innovation with technology. I think most companies, I'm not speaking for all, some companies have a culture that's working for them right now, but most companies are facing this this idea of, okay, wait, we've had a culture and maybe it's worked and maybe it's been a little bit dysfunctional depending on their region. But all most of our companies right now are facing that disruptive innovation of, okay, wait, now we have meetings online and now do we even need a corporate office? How do you have a culture with that? And there's so much more competition now with our markets becoming saturated, which is good for a consumer, but sometimes hard on the corporate scene. And how do you switch your culture for that? So it's something that's so relevant. So it's an exciting time to have your book come out. It is. It is Mm -hmm. very relevant. And you're right. You know, the the innovation, the, you know, the new things that are brought to the market, they necessarily force those who want to survive the wave of change in the marketplace to think about new strategies. How do they cope? How do they continue to win? Uh, What is it that they need to do differently in the face of new competition? That's a new strategy. And usually a new strategy requires a new culture that uh, will be able and capable of developing, not develop, deploying successfully the action steps that are outlined in the strategy. Mm -hmm. So it's a very, it's a very hot topic right now. I want you to give us one key from your book. Like what is one part of culture change that you said, okay, or this is maybe there's five steps and just a little brief overview. Like what is one thing from your book Mm -hmm. that you would like to share with us today? 
Okay, so the, the entire book and what I have had done was based on a, you know, learning that I had early in my career as a leader when I became a general manager. What the leader does is talked about throughout the entire organization. And the stories that are discussed, talked about, are the stories that end up distilling into the culture of the organization. Mm -hmm. So the leader has a lot of power and this power can be destructive or it can be constructive. So the, the, the entire title of the book is uh, The Secret of Culture Change, How Authentic Stories Can Transform an Organization. So when you're behaving as a leader in a way that uh, what you do becomes a story, and I'll give you an example, uh, that story has the power to uh, educate the company about what you want the culture to be. The story has the power to motivate uh, employees to do what is required. And it brings a conviction that you are talking about culture change seriously and in a committed way. I'll give you an example of one thing that I did, one story that I built, which is a, a very common theme and a very common uh, expression in the book. Uh, when I arrived at Telecom Company, there was a special customer service center just for the executives, directors and above. Mm -hmm. In a hierarchical company, you had privileges because of your position. And so we just called, look, my internet service is not working. In one hour, there will be someone there to help you solve the problem. Very hierarchical. That was one expression of the hierarchy. Problem was, they never knew what the customers were going through. Hmm. So I dismantled that organization, no more. Now, if any executive in the company wants to have a problem solved, he or she will have to call the same 1-800 number that all of our customers call. One day, it was my turn. you know, And I spent, my internet service was not working. I called the 1-800 number. The guy on the other end of the line did not know what my position was in the company, company with 25,000 employees. And I behaved as a you know, regular customer, not as the CEO of the company. I spent two hours, two hours trying to solve my problem, and it wasn't. However, it was easy to perceive that the customer service representative was doing his best to help me out. It was a 19-year-old college student working at night, you know, to make, make ends meet and to pay for his education. So at the end of those two hours, I had given up that my problem was going to be resolved. And I said, look, let me tell you uh, who you've been talking to. So I introduced myself as CEO. <laughs> I said, look, we're doing something wrong. You know, you've been trying your best for two hours to do uh, whatever you can to help me out, and you haven't. So we here at the company, at the leadership of the company, must be doing something wrong because we're not enabling you to uh, do your work. 
tell me what is it, what it is. So the next half hour, he listed 14 problems that were going on without a solution for a long time. I took notes. At the end of that conversation, I said, great, thank you for sharing. I wasn't aware of any of this. So I have, this was a Sunday night. So I said every Thursday morning, uh, mornings we have a, an executive meeting. That's the top management of the company, me and my eight direct reports. I want you and one of your peers to come and make a presentation to us. Mm. So they came, made a, an excellent presentation. At the end, I looked at my team and I said, were you aware of this? And they were embarrassed. Not even half of the problems were something that were uh, in their radar screens. This was a total inversion of how things were done. Now I'm taking a guy, a 19-year-old college student, working in a very low level in the organization to come and teach my VPs and myself what to do. Uh, I knew that that meeting was going to be an eye-opener for everybody, that it, you know, the fact that I had spent two hours, that I had learned so much, that I had invited people with the knowledge to lead the discussion, not the people with the position to lead the discussion, was going to be something big. So I called my corporate communications people to attend the meeting. And at the end, I said, I want you to write a, this story about what happened to the customer service representatives, not to me. You may say that I was there for two hours, no problem. I want that. But I want you to focus on what their contributions to the company have been. So make a long story short, in about 45 days, that story was in the cover of the most important business magazine in the country. This is what we, and the company understood what was expected. With this and many other stories that I built doing similar things, you know, interfacing with customers, asking questions, visiting customers, etc. What was expected? And they started to engage. They started to do what was uh, needed to be done to change the culture. But the beginning were, you know, the stories that I built as a CEO, as a leader, because I knew they were going to be talked about, those stories. They were going to educate the organization. They were going to... So if you lead anything, if you lead a family, if you lead a small company, uh, a not-for-profit organization, the best thing to do is not necessarily uh, walk your talk but let your walk talk. Mm. You have to behave in ways that are going to be eloquent, that are going to speak loud and clear to those who observe you. Not out of vanity or pride, but because you need to understand your role as a leader is to model behavior, is to inspire, is to communicate, motivate, and the best way to do that is setting the, the right example. And we've listed six characteristics of how these stories need to be built for leaders to be effective. Mm -hmm. But the, 
the overall, the umbrella idea is let your walk talk. I am so humbled by that story. And I'm so excited. My book just barely came into the bell. And so I have it sitting here on my bookshelf and I'm starting it today, right here. I'm holding it up. <laughs> and I'm so excited to share this Thank with our, our podcast listeners. As a reminder, podcast listeners, I will put that link. So the book is called The Secret of Culture Change. And the link to the book is right in, in the bio. So you can also glean what we've gotten so much from you from our podcast today. And in that link, you can even get more. You can get the full story. You can get exactly what he did in the company. And then you can go and change your cultures too. Whether I love how you had that in, whether that be in the corporate scene, whether that be in a nonprofit, whether that be at home, a leader is a leader no matter what, and culture change can happen in any entity and organization. So thank you so much for your time. We you. have been thrilled to have you here. Thank you so much. Thank you. After every episode, I'm amazed at what each of our guests have accomplished in their lives. They inspire me to go for my dreams and seize opportunities. The reality of life is that every opportunity and dream has a financial implication and knowing how to manage and grow your money will not only help you achieve your goals, but also get to them faster. Utah Money Moms has been a resource for me to learn how to better manage my money and turn my dreams into reality. Their website is full of interactive material to engage all learning styles. My favorite resource is their free monthly webinars where I can listen and have my questions answered by financial counselors and educators. Head on over to utahmoneymoms.com or utahmoneymoms on Instagram to access free empowering material. Again, that is utahmoneymoms.com or utahmoneymoms on Instagram. Thanks for listening in on the Full Confidence Ahead podcast. Weekly on Tuesdays, we'll continue our journey of confidence together through new interviews and insights. Make sure to hit the subscribe button to stay up to date on the latest conversations and confidence boosts. And by the way, you got this because you deserve to live life full confidence ahead. See you next week.